Overthinking It podcast, episode 13, Peak Rock, Politics, Busta Rhymes, and a new feature, our overthought picks, pop culture picks. Uh, but first, hello, I am Matt Rather. I use my full name on the blog, unlike uh, some of the other writers, but I have two of them with me. Uh, from New York, New York, his first time on the podcast, right? That's right. Uh, Lee. Ree. That's, that's Lee or Ree. Um, I'm cashing in my podcast V-card here, as it were. Um, I can go and get my full name. My name is Mark Lee. But good luck Googling that because there are a bazillion of us. And um, you have to get to the 13th page of Google to, to find me. 13th. Right. You got that? Pete Fenzel, Skyping in from Boston. Hey, Pete. How are hey, you? how's it going? How's it going? And I, then, use yes. your, I use your full name because I have on the podcast before. Oh, I, I encourage you to use it, and I encourage you to Google my name because you'll find a hilarious German photographer who takes pictures of middle-aged women in leather jackets, and you'll also find a dorm at Ohio State. So big ups to my peeps at Ohio State in Fenzel House. Uh, may, may you all be rocking in a free world. And if it's Miami of Ohio or a different Ohio-related university, um, I apologize, and I hope that you resolve this by a series of elaborate pranks and counter-pranks. You know, those aren't the worst photos that you could take of middle-aged German women. I suppose we ought to be grateful. And you know, we ought to be grateful for a lot of things in this world, Matt. And I really, I really, I try to treat every day as a gift. I really do. <laughs> uh, all right. So uh, if you're listening to the podcast right now, do one thing for us. If you want to support the Overthinking It podcast and this uh, scrappy little blog, that we like to write for, uh, you can go onto iTunes. You'll see the podcast on iTunes if you just search for Overthinking It. And uh, if you like it, write us a review and give us a lot of stars in the review on iTunes. And if you don't like it, ignore what I'm saying. Wait, wait, wait. No, no. Let me, let me be perfectly clear about this, Matt, because I know I differ with you on this. I welcome negative feedback on the internet, and I, and I, differ, with, I differ with a lot of my friends about this. I, I, you know, a lot of my friends... Constructive criticism on the internet, to be clear. Well, I, I don't no, even... No, you know, no, I think, I, that's not what he's saying. He wants no, that's troll. not what I'm saying at all. I want to see the trolls come out and play. <laughs> you know, I, I feel like if you're on the internet and people are not calling you terrible names and saying horrible things about you, you are not attracting attention like you're not doing it right because the internet is a wide global basin of hatred and then all the hatred just flows into the internet and it all collects in these various places and if if you're not if you're not one of those places where the hatred is collecting then you're just you're just the smooth side everyone's just running right over you just running right by you you know to be part of the geography um i'm not saying that attracting the hate necessarily is good in itself but if you don't have the hate and if the haters aren't there then i don't think that you're going to be getting a lot of other people either so i say judge us fairly and and if you're angry and you and you are it's late at night and you're angry and you're sad and you need something just something to latch on to something to read every day and get really angry at to feel better about yourself read overthinking it (laughs) send us emails tell say terrible things about us as long as you keep coming back and as long as you keep telling your friends what a stupid horrible blog this is and that they should check it out every day (laughs) i would be glad to have you i would be glad to have you and i'll fight with you i will personally fight with you on the internet i will make you that that is a pledge that is a pledge from uh, Pete Fenzel himself. And while yep. you're there, would it kill you to click on a banner ad or two? <laughs> <laughs> like, control click on them. They can open up in different windows. I don't care. Uh, hey, the snore girl loves you. The snore girl loves all of us. Don McCain loves you, too. If you want yeah. to tell us what douchebags uh, we are, uh, 
by phone, you can call the podcast voicemail line at 203-285-6401. That's 203-285-6401. And leave a message. Be sure to leave your name or clever pseudonym and uh, where you're calling from and leave some sort of some sort of hateful or appreciative message. There would probably be a better show if it were a hateful message. <laughs> but also, you know, give us good stars and stuff. Pete, do you, yeah, oh yeah, like on iTunes. Right. That was yeah. that was the point. Rate us high yeah. on iTunes. It would really help us out if if uh a couple listeners did that. We could do that ourselves, I guess, but that would be really cheap. Oh yeah, there. I would never do that. Pete, do you have a ridiculous. favorite story about like fending off uh you know, fending off trolls <laughs> on a message board or something? Oh, <laughs> do I have a favorite story? No, I do, I do. My favorite personal experience with trolling. Um, it involves the IMD message boards for the movie Cloverfield. Um, I'm not, you know, if you're familiar with this film, it was a, a small budget art film right. uh, about handheld. about a monster a lot of, that, shot really a lot of handheld. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyway, it's a J.J. Abrams film about a big monster that attacks New York City, and it's shot from the perspective of the people involved in the disaster. And it's sort of like, you know, it's basically Blair Witch Project meets Godzilla, right? Pretty simple. Uh, but it was hyped up with this very mysterious ad campaign where the idea was we'll not show you what the monster is. We'll not even show you what the movie is about. Um, we'll, call, we'll let you deduce it over time. And so I, I get into these things. I was into the AI game. The, the, um, if there's any other um, uh, cl- uh, – was it the word? Cloud – what are they called? I don't know. There, there was a – obviously, I, I don't remember it that well. But there was a whole bunch of people playing this like alternative uh, reality game for the movie AI. Um, so I, have, I followed this hype. I followed that hype. I followed this hype. And when I actually found out that it wasn't like Voltron or like you know, crazy new you know, Thor movie or whatever, I was a little disappointed. Um, and then I started getting emails from my friends who lived in New York who are seeing the posters, which depict lower Manhattan uh, struck by some sort of devastating attack uh, with a large pillar of smoke coming out of the financial district right. and a headless <laughs> Statue of Liberty. Uh, and they were less than happy about the like imagery here, which is not so much suggestive or metaphorical as it was sort of overt, you know, a- attempting to sort of get the attention of people who have strong associations uh, in their minds to the imagery surrounding September 11th. Um, and so I went on the IMD message boards, IMDb message boards, and, and I wrote a post post about um, how this advertising was in kind of poor taste to actually be in like the downtown New York City subway system. Um, you know, it maybe wasn't a great idea to put it there. Um, and the response was unanimous and really hostile, like phenomenally hostile. Like everybody the, – the instant I crossed that line and compared Cloverfield to 9-11, like people were – they were furious and they hated me. Um, and, and I think the reason for it was that they were used to people coming on this board and saying all sorts of terrible things to them for no reason, coming on and being like, oh, this movie's going to suck. This movie's going to be horrible, all that stuff, and then be like, no, it's awesome. No, it's awesome. No, it's awesome. So through this survival of the fittest, the only people left on the boards were the people who would react with like vicious hostility to anybody who dared to question even a little bit of what's surrounding this movie. And I'd had a rough day. You know, a rough couple of days. I was a little bit down. Uh, I remember sitting in my basement, and for six hours, I responded to hateful, hateful messages <laughs> on the IMDb message boards directed at me for my comment about how my friend was upset because uh, this advertising was in the <laughs> the subway system of Lower Manhattan. Um, and I mean, like, there there was the thread had hundreds of comments. Um, and really, by the end of it, I was getting messages that were, that were praising me for my uh, fortitude and my, um, my my single mindedness in like very reasonably and very logically like 
talking down each and every one of these people. And it's not that logic is respected on the internet because it isn't, and I shouldn't be praised for that. What I should be praised for was just my pure endurance, just being willing to sit in your computer. Because if there's one thing that people on the internet respect doing, it's sitting at your computer for hours and hours on end. And, and if you can do that, then you've won their love and respect. Yeah. Um, I was emotionally exhausted after this. I felt really proud for some reason that kind of uh, escapes my any sort of reasoning. Um, well, you'd but all in all, what? You'd run the gauntlet. I, I, I drank from the fire hose, my friend. <laughs> uh, I drank – there were so many fail pictures and like so many people threatening to kill me and like all this other ridiculous stuff. Fail pictures? Uh, did they find like a, 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 like a, a photograph of you on the internet and, put, and put, make a fail picture out of it or did they like create like an effigy of you and make fail on it? I believe what Ronald kind of- McDonald was the stand-in for me in several oh pictures. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, of course, they don't know me. <laughs> If they knew me, they'd know that it's not an entirely unfitting representation. I do have oh, hair and smile a lot. But <laughs> I don't think that that was on purpose. Con- I think it was largely Is coincidental. Is the thread preserved anywhere for posterity? Um, it's probably down there somewhere. Maybe I'll post it to the, uh, the overthinking it if, if I get a little yeah. bit of fan outcry for it. Yeah. Right. I mean, we're, there's going to be a series of links attached to the end of this, uh, of this <laughs> podcast on the thing. So if we could include that, though, I think that would be most edifying to our readers to see so, just you know, see how big our internet balls are. Outcry. Outcry. Public. Outcry. Uh, yeah, there were like hundreds of people. Yeah. Let's, uh, so, you know, if you want to see Pete's, uh, if you want to see Pete's thread... You 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 know you got to email us. But you you got to buy me dinner first. At at uh, <laughs> right. Moving right along, uh, it was a great <laughs> week. It was a great week on the blog. We had a lot of traffic from a couple things that got linked a bunch of places. Uh, one was the dark bailout video, which is doing well on YouTube. Though I think it may have been pulled from YouTube due to copyright violation uh, now, but I think, he, I think the version that's on the blog at overthinkingit.com is working, and the other was the Peak Rock, Peak Rock uh, post by Mr. Lee. So, Mark, what, what gave you the idea? Oh, and that, that post was linked uh, a bunch of places from um, Freakonomics, the Freakonomics blog on New York Times and other places. It's shout like, out to Steve Duke. Sorry? Shout out to Stephen Dubner, the freakiest freakonomist of them all. Yeah, right? The, the freakonomist. Uh, what gave you the idea? How did, that, how did you come up so, with that, comparing peak oil and peak rock? Sure thing. So I'm going to try to tell the story, the genesis of this uh, whole thing pretty quickly because I want to talk about some of the other ideas and debates that came out of the comment section of the, of the article itself. In the but beginning – the, the post beginning. was without form and void. If you, if you look at the syllabus, exactly. you'll see that there's a number of different elements that I want to address this semester. And darkness was on the face of the – and the spirit of the post hovered over the waters. Uh, why, are we, why are we not in academia, guys? Why are we not? Anyway, so let me, let me just quickly run it, run it down for you. So I've been meaning to do this for a while because I wanted to kind of show you know, some connection between like the, you know, the music coming out and, and just the, the day and age which it came in. The first idea was, was I was going to do it and look for a correlation actually with – uh, economic hardship or times of war. In other words, look for you know peaks and valleys of the Rolling Stone 500 uh, list and its measure of the quality of rock songs uh, compared to those things like war and, and economic downturns. Seeing as we're in the middle of one now, in case you didn't notice. Um, and but that didn't really turn out. So I, what I did was um, I took the Rolling Stone 500 list. I was, the raw data wasn't there, so I spent a solid you know five. I don't know, many hours uh, manually punching into the years into a spreadsheet, generating the graph and seeing it was kind of a nice bell curve type thing. And those, yeah, 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 yeah. Wow. I mean, you know, if you, no, he had a, uh, he had a computer. <laughs> yes. No, I did. I did not have the, I didn't get the overthinking it intern to do the data. <laughs> <for me. laughs> 
Yeah, no, he was. He Where's was busy. my coffee? Yeah. God damn it! He was, he, was busy getting, he, he was busy getting coffee, so he couldn't do the data entry. Over, yeah, um, if you want to intern for overthinking it, email webmaster@overthinkingit.com. That was sweet. Um, so anyway, so um, I, I threw the graph together. I noticed that the, the graph peaked in 1965. Yep. Um, significantly peaked in 1965. So my first thought was, okay, um, I'm going to make a spurious correlation. Uh, that was my my stated my stated goal. Um, what else? You should be in academia. You should definitely be in academia. Yeah, I really Mark. should. Um, and so googling uh, eventually, long story short, brought me to first uh, cigarette smoking, but I thought that wasn't particularly interesting enough. And then after that, oil. And as we know, America loves the oil. And um, well, more than loving oil, we also love talking about oil and how we don't have enough of it. So right. um, again, not the way to, to to correlate, like make just not really to. Uh, bring a causation to the two. I just wanted to correlate them and bring them out there, but also to use that theory, Hubbard theory of peak oil, essentially, um, which says that, you know, your oil is rapidly exploited um, after its initial discovery. And then after time, you know, it starts to tail off. I wanted to use that idea to talk about originality of rock music and the quality of it coming out. So there it is. That's how a crazy Freakonomics style uh, graph was born and spread all over the internets. Well, any questions from the writers? Yeah. Mark, you didn't show causation between the two things. You only I showed totally a spurious not. correlation. I only showed a spurious correlation. And I, my intention definitely was never to show to, – to, I thought about going down that road, like just t- writing a totally jokey post about how somehow um, the draw decline in rock music led to a decrease in oil output and that how you know, we should start rocking out harder in order to produce more oil. No, but it didn't really go that way, and I thought it really caught a, cause, a, a good uh, – a good, a discussion about rock, you know, uh, originality based on this whole idea of a limited, uh, finite uh, quantity of it to exploit. Don't you think um, that, but- that there's like that there's a there may be a correlation between like uh, a higher level of economic activity and artistic production? Certainly there's that, but I mean, you know, like, like, like that kind of level, level of activity has, you know, there's a kind of, a, I think there's a baseline of it where, you know, it just needs to be high enough so that enough people can specialize and run off and do, you know, rock and roll music and not have to, you know, hunt and gather for their tribe. I mean, um, and we've been at that for, for many, you know, years and years and years. So I don't really, I don't see that so much. Pete, were you jumping in there? Oh, I wanted to, I mean, that's, that's an interesting idea to think that economic boom times are good times for art. Um, and I wonder like sort of what, the point of that is or whether there is a point to it. I mean thinking about it in terms of American history, if I were to think about what it is about economic boom times that tends to spur on artistic expression, I would think that American economic growth oftentimes correlates with large movements of people, um, situations where you had resources that were kept in a place where they were being inefficiently utilized, and then you have some sort of event that uh, prompts a whole lot of people to move in a particular direction all at the same time. Uh-huh. Um, so oh, for instance, you've got – like what? Like the gold rush is an example, you know, and like where you have a lot of cultural things that come out of that in like the early the early 20th century. And more, more importantly, you reach the uh, – and when you talk about rock and roll, you've got to talk about um, the, the, the great migration that happened after World War II, um, right? And you've got to talk about – That's a great explosion of a wealth, certainly, yes. Well, yeah, no, but I mean – and specifically talking about the, the, executive con- the executive orders for military production contracts that prompted the movement of African-Americans from the rural south into the urban centers of America, which is where rock music really uh-huh. sort of took root and proliferated along with jazz. And a similar thing happened after World War I. Um, and, and I mean even if you want to talk about the boom times of the 90s, that's a lot about movements, about freeing up resources, but it's about the movement of information and about freeing up information. Um, 
an economic the economic boom in the 90s if, if you want to talk about um, sort of an indie rock boom maybe or, or a proliferation of smaller artists that aren't going to get the kind of coverage in, in, in Rolling Stone, you could start talking about people who were working privately um, but because some sort of um, – some sort of problem in the distribution of goods and services has been solved or or changed. Mm-hmm. Um, more people are exposed to things because I mean I don't know. Uh, there's a couple of yeah. different ways. I, I read your post and, and, and there's a couple of different ways. I feel like you could you spuriously connect these two things. Um, and I mean that's one right. <laughs> talking about what's happening in the '60s and, and and then another thing that I thought about was um, like, why is it that oil peaked at that point. Um, right, like why? I mean, if it peaked, if they say that it peaked then, and I haven't seen, uh, I've seen peak oil graphs that that have oil peaking, you know, much more recently. Oh, well, this is U.S. Well, this oil, is, you said. This, yeah, this is this is specifically, and I'm not sure what the technicality of this is. Field yeah. uh, oil production, yeah. for lack of whatever I mean, that the, means. Oh, the other peak oil graphs you just saw, and trust me, I spent many hours on Wikipedia researching this uh, yeah. in preparation for writing this. Is uh, is oil is worldwide oil production, and that's going to peak. Um, years from now, because we still have all the reserves, they're still, right, they're right. still there, and we're going to keep exploiting that, you know, pretty damn and hard. Mark, your your numbers uh, didn't account for Alaska, isn't that correct? That's correct. Yeah, again, to 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 harp to, to focus on this finite supply. But what idea. what like uh, what good rock music has come out of Alaska anyway? <laughs> we, where's uh, Wikipedia when you need it? <laughs> I love how Mark says I spent hours on Wikipedia, whereas like one before my sale, so I spent hours in the library or something looking up articles in reputable peer-reviewed journals of economics yeah. or something. Nah. <laughs> uh, so, Mark, yeah. what are some of the? Yeah. I've been surprised by some of the pedantry and like people who have not realized that this is in fact like. That this was, in fact, like a joke. Well, at least not a joke, right? <laughs> the, the, the correlation and the causality part, yeah. If, if, if there was any of it, any of parts of that was, was certainly, you know, met facetiously. But I think, I think um, you know, if, we look, if you're talking about, you know, the, the results of the comments that came out, there was a few things that I saw. One is that people were saying that, oh, no, but there's definitely been so much awesome, you know, recent music recently and that, you know, the Rolling Stone list sucks. And there's definitely a lot of validity to that. Um, but I, so I think, yeah. yeah, sorry, go ahead, Pete. Oh, I was saying, so they, they were, no, no, go on, go on, go on, it's fine. Um, and then well, there was also the, um, hey, you manipulated the statistics thing that came out of the comments, which um, I actually, uh, to whoever pointed that out, I definitely appreciate that, because you actually called me on that. And that's, this is a side thing here, I do want to specifically, you know, cop to and admit to and just totally acknowledge that it's out there, I absolutely manipulated the statistics, at least the graphical representation of the statistics to yeah, yeah, further the scales, the scales are different. The scales off, yes. And as one of the commenters uh, aptly pointed out, if you plot it on a logarithmic scale, um, that oil uh, that oil line is going to be a whole lot flatter, and it's going to be make for a much less interesting uh, piece. Yeah. But that being said, I think this whole idea of um, I'm going to quote from the Freakonomics article. This is this is Stephen Dubner um, himself is paraphrased probably better than I could have. He says, you know, the question he asks is, is pop music, particularly rock, simply exhausted as a form, leaving today's musicians with little room for innovation or have systems used by popular culture to discover and extract good songs from good musicians just broken down? I think um, the and I would I would I would side <laughs> I would side with the former part when is, is, is rock music exhausted as a form and i I alluded this to the article basically you have you know since the birth of rock and roll you have the the rhythm section the drums guitar bass um and the the confines of western music the one four five and whatnot um there's only so much you can do with that and when you look at the peaks in that rolling stone graph um those are the peaks where you know the, the major forms you know were those particular major genres were extracted out of that form 
um, classic rock, the Beatles, uh, heavy metal, Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, Motown classics. Um, that all came out, and everything after that has been derivative, and therefore, you know, didn't, didn't register as, you know, greatness or originality, whatever have you, on the Rolling Stone chart. Um, that's my theory. It also there's a there's kind of a a retrospective bias as well. Absolutely, yeah. And and there's and there's that and then one of the main criticisms is that well the Rolling Stone magazine it's, itself is just you know so you know just a relic of the baby boomer era um that it's completely lost its relevance as well so why bother you know having this discussion about the Rolling Stone magazine because it's you know it's worthless now. Um I I don't know if I would go far as far to say that but I don't know if uh, Fenzel rather you had any any thoughts about you know Rolling Stone magazine itself and you know dupe doesn't matter anymore. This well, does would, this list even matter? I mean, I would question um, what to do about situations where you've combined oil and rock music with other media, such as ethanol, or uh, or, or the uh, or as some would say, um, the hip hop, uh, which would give them more money than Fort Knox um, if you were to combine the. Uh, and that's that's a Kid Rock song. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that that rock music in itself is kind of a, a self reinforcing. Um, uh, classification. I mean, that is very limiting. Um, and I, I think that um, you've got a lot of good music that's coming out, you know, in different times that is just different genres, even though it's not really appreciably different from a, a pure musical standpoint, right? I mean, you're smarter about these things than I am. But For uh, example, like the newer forms of independent rock and roll, for example, or are you thinking of something well, yeah. else? Or even if even if yeah. we were talking about like you know funk, you know how different from rock and roll is that really relative to sort of world musics? Um, you know if you're talking about stuff that's more electronic, like how much do you count Prince as as rock music and everything that's derivative of that and everything that's come out of electronica that's also pretty much going by a lot of the same you know rhythmic conventions and a lot of the same sort of conventions of instrumentation. Um, and, and so it's not just indie rock, but I mean, it's the kind of thing. I mean, I remember when we were growing up in the eighties, um, there was a pretty big cultural differential between whether you were listening to music, to music that was being played by instruments or music that wasn't being played by instruments. And I remember there was a lot of like people whining about the fact that it's like, these guys don't even know how to play instruments. Like how dare they make music? And you don't hear much as much of that anymore, um, because people have gotten used to synthesizers. But, um, I mean, is that really a meaningful is, difference? Is that, is that, is that a distinction between like synth, like you know, like talking heads type synth music and like rocking out guitar type things? Or is that like, you know, Britney Spears doesn't play on instruments and... Uh, no, I'm, I'm talking about like like Paula Abdul and Michael Bolton and yeah, like Madonna. people like that. Yeah. yeah, Madonna. Like Madonna, is she a rock musician? Well... Probably. You know, I mean, more she's pop. So recent, more so recently. Like yeah. in on music and maybe Ray of Light a little bit and, you know, Confessions of a Dance Floor. There are some rock songs on that. Well, I mean, I, what I, makes I, Like a Prayer not a rock song? Right. I, I mean, your point is your point is that "Like a Prayer" is a lot more like a rock song than it is like, you know, I don't know, traditional Japanese music. I've been for for myself. I've been considering this entire discussion in in the broad rock slash pop vein, okay. and that includes a lot of stuff R and B, and basically R and B doesn't really include country. Um, but it, it definitely doesn't include hip hop, which I really consider to be a, a completely separate thing. And I alluded this in the, in, into the post as well. Um, and, and one of the commenters pointed this out as well too, Wells, where you could probably, you know, from the, the dawn of hip hop in the late seventies, early eighties, you might, you could probably trace a similar, um, you know, bell graph, uh, type bell curve type thing with the, uh, rapid innovation in hip hop and then a tail off on that. Now, Fenzel, you're probably much more, 
uh, versed in the genre than I am, and I don't know if you, if you feel like that's a credible argument to make. Oh, you mean to talk about the growth and decline of hip hop? Yeah, like, sure was it, was before, the, it, it, what? One of the one of the commenters said that hip hop peaked sometime in the '90s or so, and now we're in the tail end of that bell curve now. Hold on, that's uh, I not, mean, yeah, whoever said that, I'm gonna Superman that hoe. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I, I wasn't. I, I was. I wasn't agreeing or disagreeing with that. I just wanted to put that out to you know again to the folks who are yeah. more uh, versed in the genre than I am. Well, I mean, it's difficult to say because I think that hip hop isn't really a musicological term in the purest sense. I mean, I think it refers more to um, a cultural identification. Like, like I was trying to explain. Somebody asked me what the, they thought the difference was between rap and hip hop, and I mean, one of the basic differences is that rap is sort of an element of the music in which it is included. If you want to go by the kind of definitions that people were kicking around back when things were getting started, you know, you have the rapper, you have the MC, and then you also have the DJ and the two things, you know, it's sort of Arianistic. They're separate, but they're part of the same, uh, part of the same thing. Arianistic? You mean like, like Nazis? No, Arianistic, like the, like the Northern African Trinitarian uh, heresy of the third century AD. Yeah. <laughs> um, sorry, the Arianism we, we, is... We, we, we be overthinking it. I just want to... Uh, that yeah, out. that's true. That's true. I'm Jeez. sorry. I was, Continue. I was, basically saying that if, I was basically saying that if Biz Markie is Jesus and DJ Qbert and DJ Qbert is the Holy Spirit, then does that make the father Russell Simmons? <laughs> like, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, basically, like you know, is like where how do rap, hip hop, and all of the sort of skill sets therein like integrate and create this thing? Um, and I think if you really want to nail down hip hop, you've got to look at the institutions that support it, that basically give a name to it. Um, you know, the magazines and you know the executive people and the people who developed fortunes around it, who became sort of like proponents of it in, in a way that it hadn't had previously. Um, and and you have to consider like you know, does does uh, Roca wear, you know, does Sean John, does that count as hip hop? Um, because if you wanted to measure hip hop dollars, you know, that makes a lot more money than any of the music that was made by either Jay Z or Puff Daddy. Um, you know, 50 Cent made 80 or 90 percent of his money in vitamin water. You know, like, 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 really? I mean, is, is, that, is, that, is that an exaggeration or is that actually like roughly true? It's it's a it's a total pulling out of my ass number, but he made a half of a billion dollars in vitamin water. I mean, it's like, wow. yeah, I mean, that's also not a public figure. It's like, um, it, it's sort of nobody. He never really disclosed how much money he made out of it, but he was given a hefty stake in the company um, in exchange wow. for his endorsement because they didn't have cash to pay him for it. So he got an equity stake in vitamin water, and vitamin water was sent sell, sold to Coke, I believe, um, for a ridiculous amount of money, and he got a lot of money out of that. And I think I did the math for it once. I don't have the other numbers off the top of my head, but I think it's close to a half billion dollars. Wow. You're bringing up something interesting here, which I didn't, definitely did not, you know, uh, include in, and was not part of my original analysis, which is, um, you know, can, you know, if you start to measure the success in terms of dollars produced by the industry, then what is this going to, is this going to look like? And, you know, is, is rock in decline in that sense? Well, you know, the, obviously, the entire music industry as a whole, I would say, is in decline in that sense. But um, again, I don't know if you include hip hop or and you isn't exclude that. that what, as, isn't that what he was? What Stephen Dubner, Dubner, Dubner? I don't know. Isn't that what he was? He was alluding to when he said that the means of extracting songs, good, you know, hit songs from good musicians, uh, you know, have broken down somehow. Is that? I don't know. Maybe that was the business. The, the system business of. The, the system, system is uh, down. The system <laughs> is down, 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 down. Do-do, do-do, do-do. Okay, I'm done. Well, this is something. I mean, this is something that I wrote 
a post about is that uh, yesterday is that the 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 system of uh, television distribution and exhibition, which has moved from a commercially supported broadcast model to a subscription supported sort of on demand model or a, like or a you know DVD purchase model right like which is the same thing essentially except that you own it forever uh, or at least until you know they're obsolete Your freaking dog freaking poops on it right Jesus H Christ <laughs> um, that this is right that this has made possible a new generation of TV shows uh, like the wire uh, which can demand a great deal more attention from us because because the the means of exhibition allow for that kind of attention. Now, isn't there something to be said for, like, hit songs aren't being produced anymore because the machinery that made hits hits has largely become irrelevant? I mean, I don't... Are there no hit songs anymore? No, sure, there are, but there aren't hit songs in the way that... Oh, I don't know, like A Prayer was a hit song or something, you know, or something like that, right? Don't you think that the... the um... Maybe that, that might be a little bit in terms of, again, like going back to the retrospective uh, issue there, where we can look back now and say, like, A Prayer was a total monster hit and then has, you know, become, you know, absolutely ingrained into our, you know, pop culture, uh, you know, psyche. Um, we can't really quite, you know, evaluate that with the kind of the modern age of the music distribution we're living in now where, you know, absolutely I would agree that, the, you know, the, 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 the machinery, the system for producing music and everything has broken down and that pop music has, you know, facing a lot of comp- new competition, you know, other, just in terms of other forms of entertainment. Um, so I, I really can't say for certain, you know, I, I, I you know, probably, I mean, let's, let's think about this now. Like, let's see or that a guy like, or a guy th- that a guy like Jonathan Colton, you know, my favorite, like internet celebrity poster boy, Jonathan Colton and, uh, you know, a fellow Yaley, right? Like can, um, can, you know, make a very good living without, or as a musician, uh, as a rock pop musician without a record deal. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that that part of that also is that it was always kind of a myth that the records were what was making the money for the artists. I sure. mean, the concerts are really what make the money for the artists, and and you know what's really who's really suffering is the record companies. But I mean, I think that what you are seeing, I don't think we're at the point yet where they can't make hit songs, but I think we are definitely at a point where the market dynamics are really weird and unbalanced as to who is actually buying these records and these CDs rather, and they, these various recordings, because um, you're seeing, I think that you see a, a skew that goes real young. You know, because I think that you're still seeing a lot of hits that are made to try to attract really young people who may not have their own iPods necessarily, or maybe they do. Um, I mean, and I think that you're seeing, you know, you're, one, one thing that's a factor that needs to be considered is the ringtone industry, yeah. which is uh, really make you know, it's, it's growing rapidly. And the rapid growth, of course, is where the money's going to go, even if the scale isn't there, uh, even if there's capacity issues. So you're seeing people make songs for ringtones. You know, you're seeing people make songs for really young people. Um, you're seeing new ways that hit songs are being driven and produced. But what you're not seeing is the same sort of widespread adult market for singles. Um, for buying singles, yeah. right, and like buying new songs, and um, I mean, I would think that on one hand, yes, um, the distribution problems associated with hot music are a big part of that. But I would also point to the success of the sort of clear channel model of radio, um, and, right. which basically relies on the idea that people want to hear the things that they've heard before, and that there's less risk um, because if you want to think about it from an investment perspective, producing new hit songs is a very high beta 
thing to do. It's something that carries a lot of risk, but it also has a very high expected payoff. You try and 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 you pay a whole bunch of people peanuts and eventually someone makes you a million dollars. But for somebody who's really looking to shore up the margins and lower their risk, um, you stop paying the peanuts out to the new guys and you're willing to accept less money over a longer period of time from a more reliable source. Um, You're basically diversifying and and shoring up your portfolio, so to speak. Um, So I think it's changed. What? And if you if you look at that, if you expand that whole concept, I guess to the you know the entire arc of the music industry, and then I mean I guess there is a bit of a uh, um, you know that that latter part you talk about there, just you know just putting your money into the old reliable. That's where you see that tail end of the bell curve right there. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And it'll be interesting to see what globalization does to this, especially as you watch this particular economic cycle play out, and you've got you know the the cash flush markets that are looking to grow and expand, and the American market, which is not as flush with cash, which will be doing less growth and will probably be much more conservative. Are you going to see more importing of foreign music acts because uh, those record companies are willing to take risks and ours aren't? Yeah, but I think I mean Uh you've already seen that in you know the late 90s uh, bubblegum pop, you know, resurgence, which was largely Swedish. And it's, you know, all the creative for Britney Spears, Christina Aguilera, the early hits was done in Sweden, you know, before they became more hip hop influenced and started working a little closer to home. I did not know that Britney Spears' tracks were, were worked on over there. Yeah, yeah. That's, I mean, the, the two guys who wrote, like, Baby One More Time and uh, Oops, I Did It Again and, and things like that are, are, you know, were Swedes. This is not an I entirely mean, I, new thing. Uh, ABBA was from Sweden. Was, was ABBA Swedish? Yeah. It's somewhere else in Scandinavia. All those Scandinavian t- countries are the same. This- can we talk for like an hour and a half about tattoo, please? <laughs> <laughs> can we can we talk Which for is- an hour for an hour and a half about the collapse of the you know vast unregulated market in uh, uh, ringtone derivatives? <laughs> that, that, that's, the, that's the next bubble right there. <laughs> no, in all, in, all seriousness, in all seriousness, I mean, like people you know, are you know people are trying to do. What was it called? Default, like default insurance or default protection or something Wait, like that. Are you talking about credit default swaps? Yeah, credit default swaps. Yeah. So there, it, it would be like uh, it, they would be like ringtone hang up protection or something <laughs> like that. Hank Paulsoning, that hoe, that hoe went, ooh, Ben Bernanke's <laughs> with me, ooh, Ben <laughs> Uh, actually, as we, gotta, we, re- we, as we record Google News, my Google News ticker tells me that um, there is some sort of uh, an an historic compromise is being reached uh, between you know House Republicans and everyone else uh, about, <laughs> <laughs> about the economic bailout. Um, anyway, but not not to get into the economic bailout. I think that's kind of beyond the ken of this. This podcast, and I think that like talking about it, we would inevitably start talking about politics, which has been a tricky subject on the blog. We've brought it up a couple of times, and I I found that it really changed the tone of our of our comments, and even even from some of the writers who usually don't go like that, we're getting into like straightforward political advocacy, which you know set aside that that's not really the point of the blog. I mean, the point of the blog is whatever the the writers want to write on it and whatever the commenters want to comment. But like, is there something at this particular moment, maybe because it's an election year, maybe because of an increasingly polarized uh, political climate, something like that, that just turns people into either, you know, just douchebags or else blowhards. 
Let me let me frame this in a, let me frame this in just in just one one more way. I didn't I read the coverage of the debate afterwards. I I didn't watch the recent presidential debate, the one that was almost uh almost canceled because apparently you can't, you know, be worried about the economy and run a presidential campaign at the same time. Clearly. But I didn't uh I didn't watch it. I read the times the next day and sort of got a sense of what had been talked about and nothing really you, know, you mean that off liberal rag right yeah no no right i read the liberal media i read the jew liberal media but um <laughs> but i uh <laughs> yeah i know there went there went our israeli audience uh we're gonna become the most unsubscribed podcast on itunes israel soon A- anyway um God, you can't take me anywhere, can you? Oh. All right, let me let, let me jump in right now no, no, for no, no, a second. No, no. I have, I have no. a point. There's an actual okay. honest-to-God point coming up, which is that okay. I actually thought about watching it, and then I thought, you know what? There's no, there's no point. Nothing that I could see in the debate would change my mind about who I'm going to vote for for president. What and, about what – about, go ahead. Sorry. And that, that is an attitude that I would – hate if I encountered in other people. And yet, you know, if I'm honest with myself, I'm exactly the same damn way where it's kind of like, look, I'm politically committed uh, in terms of at least presidential politics. Nothing is going to change my mind. And, you know, other than other than following the horse race, what would be the point of watching it? Is there something about politics that turns us into douchebags? There's something about politics which brings out a a certain kind of it's it's almost like we were all you know subscribers to the religions of the the left or the right and uh, what comes with that and you know and and it's interesting because you know a lot of this you see in you know in a lot of young professionals who don't particularly you know hold very strongly to religious beliefs you know we're not talking about the fundamentalist christian crowd here we're talking about just you know regular folks um but it'll really latch on an almost religious like fervor to their political beliefs and um, and and carry that into a kind of almost a moral sphere, where you know if you are if you vote for George Bush, you're a bad person essentially. If you if you are a Republican, um, you don't care about uh, about the world being a good place. That's what I think drives a lot of this you know trend to douchebaggery um, in political commenting. That's my two cents. Uh, I mean, I don't. Uh, my, my my take on it, uh, I think my common take on a lot of these things is that it's not really new. Uh, I mean, it is. It has been. I think like we go through these cycles, and I think people are really upset about what happened in 2004 with Kerry, um, and how that whole thing was. That situation was handled with the whole, um, you know, if you continue the idea that if you continually, continually push the issue, regardless of whether what you're saying has any credence at all, um, there's a group of people out there, and nobody knows exactly who they are, who will eventually cave and walk behind you like zombies. Um, and I think that that has caused people who previously had become somewhat disinvolved in politics to feel like they need to get more involved in politics and also makes people feel like the media is sort of a, a new front. Um, and there's this idea that there's a liberal media out there, and that's, of course, nonsense. And there's this – because the media is is more than anything else. It's sensationalist, uh, and the media will follow whatever stories will drive interest, and therefore it naturally leans towards things that um, are going to also drive liberal causes because liberals care about things like violence in the inner city and poor people – and you know they don't care about things as sort of like the the philosophical um, the philosophical rightness or wrongness of an unrestricted free market, right? Which is never really going to jump out in front of the newspapers, except for right now, in a way that the media is going to really give a crap about. But I, I would definitely point back to the work of of America's uh, first and and probably. Um, 
um, maybe like sort of the well, not best because it wasn't very good. But but Washington Irving, the first professional writer in American history, wrote a wonderful little story that we probably are all familiar with um, called uh, Rip Van Winkle. Um, and, and Rip Van Winkle goes to sleep for 20 years and he wakes up and he walks down his little hill in what he thinks is his little Dutch town and finds everybody all angry and arguing about politics, which is something that he did not experience when he was younger because he lived in a monarchy um, and now he lives in a republic and everybody fights all the time. Um, and I mean this is a story that was written back in the 1700s, um, I believe, and uh, – uh, I mean, was it even the Republic? I think it, yeah, it was after the Revolution. It was like in the 1780s they wrote the story, and uh, I think I'm probably totally wrong on that, but I'll I'll check it at some well, point. Well, for the purpose um, of this article, our, sure. Yeah, sure. But the the main thrust of the idea is that Americans for a long time have been conscious of the fact that the people around them seem really worked up about politics. I mean, come on. Um, and of course, like what Matt said, you know, we see in others what we sometimes see in ourselves. Um, and it's part of our national natural national character, not just to get worked up about politics, but to be like, oh Jesus Christ, why is this guy talking about politics all the time? I mean, come on, you know. And there's a sort of hypocrisy in there that I think is part of part of who we are as as a country. Yeah. Um, you know, it's part of our sense of being polite. Like, don't talk about politics at dinner. But of course, you talk about politics at dinner. There's nothing new <laughs> under the sun. We've always been douchebags. <laughs> But don't, well, nothing no, I, new under the sun. I would agree. At the moment, you know, at the moment of the writing of the Federalist Papers or something, or at the moment of the framing of like the foundational documents of American democracy, don't you have a feeling though that there were people who were sort of engaged in debate, passionate debate, sure, but they were open to having their minds changed by things? Did you watch John Adams, the HBO series? No, I, I downloaded it illegally on Torrent. <laughs> well, I just, I just finished it up. They, they, their take on the Federalist Papers, which of course is going to be biased because they're seeing it through today's uh, lens, is that the federal, federal – and this very well may be, may be true. I'm not as familiar as I should be. But is that the Federal Papers were, mod- were motivated by much of the same – um, emotions and, and circumstances as today, which is that you had these two factions that were willing to go at each other at all costs and were willing to levy all sorts of personal charges and sort of ideological framing around their opponents, which um, in itself, by virtue of their fighting for power, is what created a lot of the um, intellectual factionalism. Um, that yes, on one hand, you have people who believe that the country should go in one direction and people who believe that the country should go in another direction. But on the other hand, you have Jefferson and you have Hamilton and you have people like that and that those people want to be in charge and they are willing to say whatever is necessary for them to be in charge. Uh, and they may be hypocrites. They may be monarchists. They may be you know, megalomaniacs. Um, but they'll come up with whatever is necessary. And a lot of the times what is necessary is a consistent ideological, political, philosophical system. And if that's going to put them in the big house, then that's what they're going to talk about. And how about um, trashing your opponent as well? For example, like, would you have a Thomas Hussein Jefferson? Oh, I think top, that, that's you know, just, with the other. I think the fe- that's, that sort of stuff is all over the Federalist Papers, right? I mean, so am I, am I, what? So nothing, again, nothing new under the sun. Well, I don't mean to diminish it by yeah, that. It's it's less, still, I mean, it's no, 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 I'm not meaning to diminish it again. It's less I'm not meaning the to Federalist Papers, and it was all over the kind of the hand-distributed pamphlet, you yeah, know, yeah. ecology, uh, intellectual ecology that was, you know, their their way of communicating sensational things to one another. 
I mean, if you want to go to the intellectual antecedents of the Federalist Papers, which is, you know, probably a lot of the pamphleteering that took place around the English Civil War in the 1600s, you know, where you have a great a case of sort of the press meeting a, a struggle for de- democratically derived power from, you know, the mob from elections, what have you. Um, there's definitely a very close marriage between intellectual discussion and personal slander. Um, and I think the challenge is how do you deal with it as an adult? You know, how do you deal with it? And in, in, in I think our generation having grown up being kind of ignorant of it and being exposed to it upon our entrance into adulthood in the way that we were um, with this particularly egregious current administration, and I'm not afraid to say that, um, I think that we feel like this is when it started. But again, like it's probably something that that we should recognize we need to come to uh, an arrangement with and that we can't just sort of let it happen to us. We have to figure out as adults now, since we're responsible for taking care of this ourselves, how are we going to relate to it? And I think one of the reason things we've come up to is if someone brings it up on the internet and makes a point and tries to frame an idea in a certain way, I'm not going to let them – I'm not just going to disagree with them. I'm going to disagree with their framing. I'm going to offer counter-framing. I'm not going to let them set the tone of the debate. I'm not going to let them set the field of the debate, which is going to result in I'm going to yell at them. And by yelling at them and yelling back, it becomes a wash, and then at least we get to get on with our lives without anybody being misled. And if Um, anyone doesn't believe it, you can look at the IMDb page for Cloverfield. (laughs) (laughs) Where you'll find uh, uh, where you'll find a model, uh, you know, of just such a debate. I mean, that's so, my take so, on it. So we are. So there, are we in agreement then that um, it's kind of hopeless to expect that the, that the level of discourse can be elevated? No, I think what Pete, I think what Pete is saying is that unlike previous generations, our generation actually can change things. We can certainly pick si, the si, way si, we si, relate to. <laughs> si, si, I don't speak. I don't speak uh, Italian. <laughs> <laughs> I know, so I, yeah, my bad. I know we got to we, we got to keep those uh, those those foreign influences out of this podcast. Speaking right? of speaking of foreigners, uh, we must protect our borders from. Don't you like how I do segue? Yeah, uh, I, oh, I, I serve I a big fan. <laughs> it's uh, <clears throat> you know, it's it's the almost public radio level of segue. Uh, speaking of of foreigners, <laughs> uh, we must protect our borders. From uh, Amy Winehouse, apparently, who was denied entry into the United States because of her legal troubles, uh, the British r- retaliated by uh, denying Busta Rhymes entry into the States. Pete, what happened with that? Okay, so the Amy Winehouse thing is something that happened previously, but this is fresh news from this week. Um, an organization called Orange Rock Corps, uh, which is a nonprofit, um, I believe, based in, in the United Kingdom, that offers children, in exchange for doing four hours of community service, uh, free tickets to go see a concert with a major pop rock musical artist. Um, and they signed a young man by the name of, of Busta Rhymes uh, to give this concert, and, and he was traveling to England. But Busta uh, he is uh, he is he's not always been kept in check, uh, as it were, uh, over the course of the years. And he has some weapons charges, and he has some trouble with the law. I think there's a rumor that he once might have, might have uh, whiffed a little bit of marijuana, uh, and, and Busta was denied entrance into the United Kingdom, uh, and it looked like the concert was not going to be able to go on. And Busta sued in the high court in the United Kingdom to get a court order to allow him into the country so that he could perform for all these grateful garbage picking up children and such uh, and the people who are taking care of cats and doing other nice things. And the court said you know, with a firm, bewigged voice, you know, Busta, give me some mo. You know, like, come on, come on into our country. Um, and, and I think – 
what what is who is this Stadlin? Stadlin is the the High Court Justice Nicholas Stadlin ruled. Uh, what weighs in the balance? And this is a direct quote. What weighs in the balance is not what effect this would have had on Mr. Smith, to which I pay considerably less regard than the effect on the four thousand volunteers who would be disappointed if he did not perform this evening. Um, Mr. Smith I, is that his real name? I believe so. I believe that 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 uh, Buster Rhymes. What? Yeah, I was. I really, I just really had hoped that the, the British judge would have said, "Mr. Rhymes in, uh, in court." <laughs> the Honorable Mr. Rhymes. No, Mr. Rhymes' name no, is Trevor Mr. Smith. Trevor Smith. Yeah. There it is. Um, definitely, definitely. Uh, and, and I think that this. I mean, that not only is this in itself a, a watershed, really, and I'm, I'm, I'm really not surprised that all of America is really uh, keyed into this really important development this week, uh, being at the top of all of the headlines, uh, as opposed to all those non, that nonsense happening down in Washington. But um, I mean, I think that there's a trend. I think you're seeing a lot more of uh, pop stars who have acted out publicly and who have not sought to hide their public acting out, um, and who have sort of courted the uh, disenchantment of the law uh, over the years is find themselves having problems doing global tours. I mean, you've got the aforementioned Amy Winehouse. You've got, who can forget, um, Mr. Doggy Fizzle Televizzle himself being banned from the nation of Australia uh, in, <laughs> of in all, April of 2000. Of all places. Because, you know, <laughs> they're smoking some pot in Australia. <laughs> I mean, what, are they, what else is there to do down there? I mean, if you're I'm not going to let us just lost us our whole Australian listenership too. We I mean, are crossing <laughs> off areas on the map. We are. Yes. So, so, so just just like this podcast is retreating back into American borders, perhaps it's just a, a signal that um, our artists need to to stay here in the U.S. of freaking A. And uh, I mean, there's you know a whole lot of entertaining to do here in the United States. Um, I, I say protectionism you know, we, is not the answer. <laughs> <laughs> but let's let's let's, let's preserve let's, American global earnings. What? <laughs> This is true. In order, all right, in order to maximize uh, Mr. Rhymes, excuse me, Mr. Smith's and Miss Winehouse's global earnings, you have to get them into Send new markets. Send troops to protect Snoop Dogg. <laughs> we want this is an American export, and we need to have other countries accepting these American exports. We can't have these overseas people subsidizing their homegrown rappers at our expense by using trumped-up weapons charges to keep people <laughs> good, hardworking American citizens like Trevor Smith, like Mr. Doggy Dog, out of their countries uh I, I really think this is an affront i mean i i want to see i mean I, I, I mean i bet you i bet you that if there were a place in south carolina where they they blocked tattoo from giving a concert you would see medvedev and putin on the plane coming right down over to charlestown and, and, and telling you that you know all the things that she said were in fact going to continue running through your head running through your head running through your head and that was going to keep happening <laughs> pete you're on fire wow uh, you know, I'm trying my best. I'm trying my best. I mean, I, if there's something about Snoop Doggy Dog that just gets me all lit up. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I mean, and actually, there's something about Snoop Doggy Dog that, that makes me quite mellowed out. I must say. Yeah. It really grows on me and, and, and it sort of gets rolled up and put in my, in my mouth and lit on fire. You know, it, Wait, it is rem- I mean, it is remarkable. You, you really do have to appreciate the man uh, given the level of uh, what I'm going to call drama in the LBC. It, it must be rather <laughs> difficult uh, being uh, Snoop Dogg. 
This is true. All true and welcome. I mean, I also point to, I think, the funniest issue of celebrity customs immigration difficulty over the past year, which was um, a little a little man by the name of Sylvester Stallone, uh, who used to be known as not having a crazy facelift, uh, was blocked from, <laughs> blocked from entering, again, the totalitarian police state of Australia. Uh, <laughs> While he was going down uh, to go shoot a movie because um, he his luggage was x-rayed and it was found that some very totally natural vitamin supplements uh, were in his luggage um, and that he was going to use to maintain his healthy physique. But they would not let him into Australia because he was carrying, um, uh, I, I guess, performance-enhancing drugs, Wasn't it I think. human growth hormone? Isn't I mean, probably. I said, think- isn't that when he said, oh, come on, HGH is nothing? Yeah, I think he. I I use it all the time, and I look pretty damn good, and I'm totally normal, right, guys? I'd like to think that he he said he was carrying HGH to hide the fact he was carrying Ninja Stars, (laughs) but I think it was probably HGH. (laughs) (laughs) I'm totally gonna Ninja Star the pilot of this plane. I'm sorry. Come to this wall, Australia. Tear down this wall. If Soldier Boy gets detained on his way to Australia, I really think that we need to see Nancy Pelosi on a plane going down to Australia to talk to those people because they need to talk to. Um, this is we a global village. I think we're all, we're all in agreement in the fact that we need to keep our, uh, our borders open to artists. Um, yes, we need to let rappers come and go. <laughs> but uh, what about what about uh, Mexican migrant laborers, though? I mean, you know, I think oh, it's they, they don't get them in. Can they rap? They can't rap, can no. they? <laughs> they can rap. Have you heard that music? It's all it's like all accordion and synthesized horns. And, Crossing uh, off the areas on the map, for Christ's sake! I know. We just lost the Mexican. There goes all the Western Hemisphere, including most of the United States. We're not going to have any audience left, Matt. Yeah. Jesus I guess, Christ. I guess New Mexico, New Mexico over. Wow, this is so. Uh, so I've been alienating. You know, it stopped me before I alienate another. Uh, major nation or ethnic group or world religion. <laughs> Let's. Uh, we're, we're lucky Schechner isn't on here or we would have nobody left. Yeah, right. Well, Schechner, would, just... Schechner would, my goodness, that guy would uh, love it. Oh, I was watching 90210. I watched the first couple episodes of 90210 the other night. There was a little throwaway joke on it where like, uh, oh, hi, I'm your you know new classmate. This is like at West Beverly High or whatever it is. Hi, I'm your new classmate. You know, uh, uh, Cecilia Rosenberg Gomez, or something like that. You know, that was, and that's what passes for a joke, I guess, on nine hundred two one zero. Anyway, cross. Well, so she was actually they actually they actually had a Hispanic. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, they had a, an Hispanic classmate join them, and that was uh, what the hilarity ensued. There's one. There's one uh, token African American on. Uh, right. And then one, which, which, of, which there wasn't in the original in the original iteration. Well, of the show, you know, right? like uh, it's it's the march of progress. And there's one, there's like one token South Asian American, I believe, also in in the uh, show. But, um, but but no no one representing the the Korean or the or the or the Chinese. The, well, it's early. The, the, I, you know what? I haven't seen a lot of I haven't seen a lot of episodes yet. We may go to math class eventually. Yeah. Matt, Matt, you know I'm dependent on you for uh, my, my uh, insight into uh, into the, the Ute culture that is represented in things like 90210 and uh, 
and Gossip Girl. For I actually example. have been I have been really fascinated by by the youth culture, and this you know I think that it's I, I, this is a whole other podcast. We probably shouldn't get into it now, but I think that like I think that there's actually probably two two things. One is like that the the mainstream media is actually telling these kinds of stories to adolescents, right, to teenagers. I think that like if you thought that the last generation was entitled, wait till you see the Gossip Girl generation. And, uh, you know, didn't want to produce anything useful or contribute to society uh, the way I do as a theater actor. Or, or we do as, you know, as podcasters and bloggers. Yeah, well, right, exactly. That's true. Blogging and podcasting really is our contribution to the public square. But um, uh, the other thing is porn, right? That kids today are growing up in a, in a, and I don't mean to make a moral argument about it, but they're growing up in a uh, just sort of, just purely descriptively, they're in a a um, an environment where, like, you know, the the most degrading acts of sexual theater probably show up unbidden in their email boxes on a daily basis, and like this has got to. I know that if I had seen when I was twelve, thirteen, fourteen, some of the shit that I have seen on the internets as an adult, like that would have fucked my shit up when I was a kid. You know? It's a good thing you did it, Matt, rather, because you turned out uh, just fine now, right? <laughs> <laughs> right, absolutely. Well, you and know. now none of the porn people are going to read our website. <laughs> <laughs> nobody from math class, nobody who reads pornography, <laughs> nobody from Mexico, nobody from Israel. Nobody, uh, boy, nobody no, I don't know what you mean. From no. the totalitarian, totalitarian police state of Australia. Well, I mean, I have a personal story about that, and I'll be really quick about it. And I don't want to draw too much attention to it because it involves people who I don't want to discuss on the blog, namely my own family. But um, because I want to keep them out of these sorts of uh, unsavory places as this podcast. But um, but my my little, I remember when my little sister, um, who at the time was ten, I believe, uh, had an email account. And um, and was emailed some pretty nasty um, uh, solicitous stuff um, via AOL, uh, which, of course, I don't hesitate to mention them because they offered a terrible service for years and years and were duly punished for it in the markets and in their balance sheets. And they charged, but, a, um, they charged a great deal for their terrible service and made it impossible to unsubscribe. Yes, but I mean she yeah, was so did. upset. Yeah. I mean like she – she felt she had done something wrong and she was really disturbed and at the same time you know she knew that she was going to get in trouble sort of for something she didn't do and at the same, it was also really shocking and disgusting and and just that feeling of what that happened i mean i am not a you know, hey, let's do it for the children kind of guy. Like, I'm very against censorship. I think a lot of this mess that was made about violent video games and all that other mess um, in terms of censoring them and banning them is nonsense. Um, but this is a really painful and destructive thing that is happening to this generation. And we have to come up with a cultural solution or something. And I think it's gotten better because spam filters have gotten better. And, you know, you're not on AOL anymore. If you have a Gchat account, you know, a Gmail account, rather, like, it's not going to be as bad as it was on AOL. I don't get nearly as much spam now as it did then um but but still no, but it's, know, it's kids, just kind of- even even kids who are not who are not like specifically looking for it kids are curious you know they'll poke into their yeah. spam folder yeah. just because kids look around at shit you know they're curious about the world and that you know the fact that it, it is so easy and you know there's no blocking software that that really you know would work there's no 
you know, there's no way to keep it. There's no way to keep it out. And what can you do? I mean, parents can't monitor their kids 24 hours a day. And that, you know, that it's, you know, the fact that like so much of our communication has become sort of the hardest of core, uh, you know, and the access to that stuff is so, you know, the barriers to entry have all been, you know, effectively removed. That's going to yeah. have an effect on the generation that is growing up now, you know what I mean? And like, mark my words in 20, 25 years, we will see repercussions. Uh, and you know, I don't know what they will be positive, negative, neutral, whatever it's, but you know, there will be, there will be effects of this, of these causes. Uh, so, you know, uh, I'm personally rooting for a zombie apocalypse of, uh, of porn crazed uh, youths, uh, you know, <laughs> roaming the streets, uh, hungering for brains. I'm not really sure what the connection is between, you know, internet porn and brains, but I think, you know, there's a zombifying effect. And you know, we all know the zombies eat brains. So that's what I'm rooting for. Yeah, there is Everybody a zombifying effect. All right, on to our picks. It's a new feature of the Overthinking a Podcast. We will highlight. Uh, particularly excellent bits of popular culture around the internets uh, with links in the show notes on the blog at overthinkingit.com that you can click on. Uh, who wants to kiss, kick us off? I'll, I'll start up because this, this might be good because um, we're going to start pretty damn nerdy um, and we only go up from there. Um, so bear with me, folks, as I take you back to circ, you know, the, the, the 1990s or so. And um, how many of you, uh, uh, how many of you, and I say you rather in Fenzel, do you guys remember the old time, old school video game series Wing Commander? Oh, uh, yes. I, I will kill those Kilrathi bastards. I will shoot That's them. right. Those, those, those Kilrathi sons of bitches. They, they killed my wingman. Um, yes. I, was, I was just absolutely enthralled and obsessed with these games, as I was with science fiction a lot in my youth. Um, Star Wars, Star Trek, obviously. But Wing Commander just really did it for me. Um, the, the level of cinematicness and the action in the games. So, you know, the, the first two Wing Commander games uh, were, were pretty damn awesome in their own right. But then Wing Commander 3 rolls along with uh, incredibly awesome 3D graphics and totally sweet uh, full motion video with uh, uh, Mark Hamill and John mm-hmm. Rhys Davies, among other, a bunch of other B grade uh, folks as well, too. Um, Are you calling that... Malcolm McDowell? Malcolm McDowell is not B grade. That is an A grade. Malcolm McDowell totally is not. It's not. It's not B grade. But I think there was there was a <laughs> a, 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 a no no joke uh, porn star actress um, who played one <laughs> of the love actors. Ginger Lynn Allen, I think, is her name. Okay. Um, not that I not that I saw her in um, Asses of of, of Awesomeness, uh, Ass Commander two, three, four, and five. Uh, but but um, no, no, no. Just to, to go back to Wing Commander, um, the, the the video sequences were incredibly awesome. The storyline was at the time I thought it was incredibly epic, um, and just it just the game just totally enthralled me. And no joke, okay. Uh, in the last scene, when the war ends, you know, when the Kilrathi spoiler, spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Yeah. Sorry about that, guys. Spoiler Gosh. alert for Wing uh, Commander 3, Heart of the Tiger. Spoiler alert. <laughs> but when, you're spoiling my moment here, Pete, Fensel. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. When, when the game ends and they're signing the treaty, it's almost like, like I, I felt like it was, I was like on the deck of the USS Missouri and the Japanese were uh, surrendering to the Allied forces. And I cried. I shed tears. This is the emotional impact this video game had. And lucky enough for me, some website um, out there, wcnews.com, uh, it was able to extract all the old video clips from the game and post them on here. And again, let's go back and see all these amazing, great moments when we came into three. All the uh, Mark Hamill and John Rhys Davies and Malcolm McDowell's 
uh, and uh, porn star Jim Jill and Allen's amazing performances. Um, all back there, bringing back a host of uh, wonderful memories of blasting uh, Kilarathi in space for me. So that's WCNews.com. Big fan. I am going to watch that. I'm gonna, I love that video game. I, I never got to beat it either, so um, I'm totally going to watch that. That's great. You didn't, you didn't, you didn't try hard enough, Fenzel. No, <laughs> you, know, you did not have the heart of the tiger in you. It's not too late. <laughs> you know, you know can, there's like... So just to quickly, there's all kinds of ways to play these old school video games on on new computers. Um, it takes a little bit of effort, but it's totally doable. You also, the other thing is you have to have a you have to have a joystick as well, which is not a, a peripheral that you know people, you know, I guess adults like to have in their uh, you know rooms. Seeing as a joystick is an incredibly nerdy thing to have, I guess. Fenzel, what is your pick? Oh, my pick for the week, I'm going to go a little bit local, and I'm going to pimp uh, bostonnewsnet.com, which has a segment on it this week um, that features, and I think it will probably still be archived next week, um, an explanation to the children's of the Wall Street bailout, uh, done with puppetry and with very simple explanations by uh, local Boston improviser J.C. Bukinevich. Um, I, I definitely think you should check this out. They post clips to the web every week. Um, it, it's fun. It's, it's a good group of people, and there's a lot of different sort of um, side reports uh, from the various uh, um, uh, various uh, uh, correspondents. And I think that if you, if you, if you like a sort of daily show kind of stuff, uh, and you want to sort of see, and you like local comedy, and you want to sort of see uh, how those two things can can sort of dovetail, and, and sort of what um, you, you know what's happening on the fringe in this sort of you know, this sort of uh, milieu. I would definitely think you should check out BostonNewsNet.com. I'm a big fan of the Onion News Network. I know that a lot of people like the Onion, but it's a little bit old school to like the Onion. Um, but if you want to check out Onion News Network as like I do, you'll see they do a lot of really funny stuff, and a lot of those guys are also out of improv comedy. And I think you're seeing a lot of uh, more on the internet of people publishing um like local comedy stuff that previously wouldn't be seen uh outside of little theaters so if, you're um, into, if you're into local comedy but for a locale other than your own go yes. to <laughs> go to bostonnewsnet.com well no it's not about boston it, the local comedy aspect of it isn't like just making jokes about the cobblestones in this particular town or the fact that you know people from revere have your reputation now i'm crossing places off the map god damn it uh, <laughs> is, but, uh, uh <laughs> is i mean is local comedy more like comedy from other localities than uh than it is from than it is different from mainstream co- that doesn't make sense you know what i mean I, is there I, more I affinity compare, yeah. between different local comedies or different localities comedies uh than there is between any of their comedies and uh mainstream comedy I, I would say that. I mean, going to the comedy festivals, you know, there's people who run the circuit and there's sort of some smaller local people. I mean, I would compare local comedy to like certain kinds of indie rock or to like sort of um, farm raised produce uh, as being something that has a specific relationship, not necessarily with the place that it's from, but between the performer and the audience. Uh, and, and, and I think that there's a certain amount of, um, of leeway and range um, that local comedians get to traverse in because they uh, relate to their audience differently than people who broadcast for national audience. And plus you just get to see more people. There's more variety. It's more risk. I mean, if we can't get big hits out of pop stars anymore because we can't see the risk, we can't, we're never going to see all the, the, the singles that would have come out if they had been more, more profitable. Um, maybe you have to go looking for it. So yeah. 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 Plus uh, Harry Gordon's financial reports. Hilarious. Harry Gordon's is awesome. For sure. He does a good report. That is bostonnewsnet.com. And my pick, uh, going way, way, way back in the Wayback Machine, uh, is kidblount.com. K-I-D-B-L-O-U-N-T.com. Hello, my future girlfriend. 
this is, is that what still I sound like <laughs> oh it's absolutely still there that thing's been there for like 15 years yeah so oh, for uh, sure Matt, Matt take me back there in time was that supposed to be ironic um when it was created you know, or is that, or was that and Wikipedia actually... does not have an entry uh that's a damn story. I know right I think the guy's name is is Michael Blount um let's can we get him on a podcast Probably. Can we try to find him? Probably not. He probably won't talk to the media. He's become a recluse. Don't you think? Yeah. No, but I think it's totally possible that I'm just theorizing. You know, it's like, you know, at the 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 dawn of the internet at the time that some, you know, thirteen awkward thirteen year old kid um, got his hands on this domain name and uh, you know started create this site and you know said the hello my future girlfriend. He wanted to you know a heartfelt introduction to his future girlfriend. Yes, I hope no? that he has a present girlfriend who really appreciates it. Yeah. <laughs> that he says hello as well. Hello, my present girlfriend. Yeah. Uh, so sorry, Mac. Well, right. I think that this. So I found this on the internet meme timeline, uh, and I had forgotten. I was so. I thought this was the most hilarious thing uh, that I had ever thought, and it just you know it made me long for a kinder, simpler time on the internet when I. Uh, saw it and clicked through to it on the internet meme timeline. I'm going to insert, <coughs> excuse me, I'm going to insert some of the um, some of the audio from "Hello, My Future Girlfriend" at the end of the podcast. So, uh, because I know you're dying to get to that, uh, Fenzel, how can people get you? How can they get me? How can they, they can get at you? Me. They can send me electronic mail at Fenzel. That's F is in Frank, E N Z is in zebra, E L. Uh, at that's an at sign uh overthinking it.com that's excellent pete fenzel and mark lee how can people find you uh indian smoke signals work pretty damn well too oh crap we just lost a native american audience Um, god damn it (laughs) i like how it's spilling over for me i have no tact most of the time but like when i can get you guys not to have tact either i feel like i've done my job um in all seriousness lee at overthinking it.com that's lee lee at overthinkingit.com. And, uh, Mark, you're on the Twitter, aren't you? I am on the Twitter, in fact, indeed. Um, my Twitter handle is goes to 12. That's uh, as in like the spinal tap goes to 11, except mine goes to 12. <laughs> Why don't you just have it go to 11 and have 11 be louder? I don't understand. <laughs> but this, this one goes to 12. It's, it's oh. too loud. It's too louder. <laughs> Anyway, that's Ghost of Twelve. G O E S T O T W E L V E. Excellent. Ghost. And I am Matthew Rather, uh, Rather W R A T H E R at overthinkingit.com. Uh, and I'm on the Twitter also at M Rather, M W R A T H E R. We are the Overthinking It podcast. Please do rate us on iTunes if you've listened this far. And if you want to tell us what racist bastards we are, or you know what, I'm just going to speak for myself. I, I am, because it's really my bad influence that has, you know, brought these guys over to the dark side. You can leave a voicemail to be played back on the podcast at 203 285 6401. That is 203. 203- Two eight five six four zero one. Overthinking it subjects the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. Visit us on the web at www.overthinkingit.com. Hello, my future girlfriend. This is what I sound like. I am 11 years old in the sixth grade in New Mexico. Please PM me if I'm on Yahoo Chat. Bye. Thanks for stopping by.